Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Katie Ferris about the topic of sorrowing moms and her book, God is Still Good, Gospel Hope and Comfort for the Unexpected Sorrows of Motherhood. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Katie Ferris is the author of He Will Be Enough, How God Takes You by the Hand Through Your Hardest Days, and Loving My Children, Embracing Biblical Motherhood. She is also a contributing writer to several blogs, including the Gospel Coalition and Risen Motherhood. A pastor's wife and mother to five, Katie lives with her family in New Jersey. Hey there, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. I'm so excited to have this chance to talk with you. Thank you, Christine, for having me. This is an honor, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here. We are chatting about a topic that is very important to me for a number of reasons. And that's why I think part of why I'm so excited to share this resource with our listeners. We are chatting about the topic of hope and help for sorrowing moms based on the brand new book that just released with Crossway entitled God is Still Good, Gospel Hope and Comfort for the Unexpected Sorrows of Motherhood. But before we get into our conversation about this book and topic today, I wondered if you could share with us about why you wanted to write on the subject of unexpected sorrows and motherhood. Sure. I'm a mom to five children, uh, ages five to 16. I have three boys and two girls, and I've learned for myself that motherhood is much more than suffering, but it's not less. And there is a particular kind of suffering that moms experience, whether it's postpartum depression or a child's difficult behavior, a serious medical diagnosis, or even estrangement from an adult child, motherhood is hard and it brings all kinds of unexpected sorrows. My senior pastor's wife knows my personal story and a few years ago she asked if I would consider talking to some of the other moms in my church about trusting God in trials specifically related to motherhood and I later turned that message burst with agonizing tears as I relived the painful parts of my own personal story but also recalled God's faithfulness, Um, I turned that into an article about suffering and motherhood for the Gospel Coalition. And those two opportunities, speaking with the moms in my church, writing that article, highlighted two things for me. First, I realized that there was so much more to say and write about this topic than could fit into a 40-minute talk or a thousand-word essay. Next, the heartfelt response that I received from women highlighted for me how needed this message of gospel hope and comfort for the sorrows of motherhood really is. So that's why I wrote God is Still Good, to help moms like me remember that even though motherhood doesn't always deliver what we hope, and it frequently delivers things, even hurts that we don't expect, God is still good. He really is no matter what, even when circumstances look nothing like we imagined, 
God remains the same and we can trust him. He is our true hope and comfort for the sorrows of motherhood. And his word provides a framework that both explains our suffering and helps us combat common temptations and lies that so often travel with it. Because you do share so much of your story in this particular book, I wonder if you could just for a couple of minutes talk about the unexpected sorrows that you have gone through on your journey through motherhood. Sure. I tell in God is Still Good how I read lots of books and websites about labor labor and delivery before my first son was born, but I skipped over anything having to do with a C-section. And then um, my amniotic fluid was low and my son was Frank Breach and I needed to go to the hospital and there was an emergency C-section. And I think that was only the first of so many plot twists in my motherhood story. There were feeding issues and eventually some serious medical diagnoses. Uh, after an illness, one of my children was diagnosed with something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. And it's a serious genetic condition that over time can impact the liver and the lungs. Because it was genetic, our other children were also tested. And my husband, Scott, and I learned one day that two more of our children had the condition and it was devastating. It brought so much grief and so many questions for that time. Also, what would this mean for the future, for our kids, for our family? Suddenly there were specialist appointments and medical tests that we had to squeeze into our family schedule. But there was also this deep sense of loss, a loss of some kind of normal childhood for our children, something maybe I hadn't even realized I had expected. And uh, there were just all these unknowns about what the future would look like. But I can honestly say that God has been so faithful to our family uh, the path of a medically complex family isn't one I would have chosen for us, but the Lord has also met me on this path and he really is good. I'm learning that it's better to walk with the Lord on any path that he chooses than really to be anywhere else. In the beginning of the book, you describe a moment when you sought counsel from a Christian friend who, after listening to you talk for a while, said, something that I thought was really intriguing and helpful. She said, Katie, I think you have more grieving to do. As you think back to that time in your motherhood journey, why do you think her observation was so timely and helpful for you? What comes to my mind when I hear this question, Christine, and thank you for asking it, what comes to mind is Proverbs 15, 23, and the NIV version comes to my mind. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. And I went to my friend for counsel in a very difficult season. A few months prior, I'd lost a baby in miscarriage, but the pace of life just kept moving. And though I'd recovered physically, I was still really emotionally tender. My friend recognized this and she started to draw me out. She asked a lot of questions. I told her how some recent blood work for one of my children had come back and the numbers were concerning. And even though those numbers eventually resolved, I'd had such a strong emotional response when I thought that they were off and something serious could really be wrong. And that emotional response surprised me. It caught me off guard, but it also, I think it highlighted for me that there were still heart issues for me to work through. And miscarriage involves 
death so close. <laughs> and I want to be careful for moms who might be listening to this and um, have that experience. Uh, but just my experience of losing an unborn child whom I didn't know, uh, it really just further highlighted for me my deep love for each of my living children and this fear of other premature losses. Uh, my friend discerned this as we were talking and she really helped me to see, to just kind of slow down and acknowledge that I needed to grieve and lament further. Yes, for this unborn child, you know, it had only been a matter of months and there was more grieving to do for this particular child, but also to consider even grieving and lamenting some of these other sorrows of motherhood connected to my living children. So Katie, how might that apply to a mother who's listening right now and going through a season of unexpected sorrow in motherhood? Well, I think I'd want another mom in that place, maybe to even consider the same counsel that my friend gave me. Those words, maybe you still have more grieving to do. Uh, one reason I addressed this early on in God is Still Good is because moms really are in different stages of sorrow, different stages of grief. Some might have been walking a hard motherhood road for a very long time, but there might be others who are just starting out. And for those just starting out, they may simply need to hear that their pain is real, that it's worthy of their grief. There might be a reader who needs to pause and weep and cry out to God and uh, just stay, maybe live in the first part of my book for a while before moving on. And that's totally fine. That's okay. In the Lord's time, she can open the rest of the book. Well, I appreciate how early on you introduced readers to biblical lament. You just kind of alluded to that as a helpful means of grace for you personally, as you were walking through that particular season we were just talking about. And I loved, especially when you wrote, quote, I want everything in my life to come quickly. And that includes resolution to my grief. Can you talk a bit more about that statement and how learning to lament helps moms to process their grief while they wait upon the Lord for help? Yes, I definitely tend towards impatience, Christine. <laughs> I will join the shortest checkout line at the grocery store. Doesn't mean it ends up taking the least amount of time, but I'll try to find that line. Uh, I'll stay busy on my phone while waiting in the doctor's office. And I have to remind myself to slow down my pace or adjust my pace whenever I'm traveling anywhere with young children. And this kind of impatience really does resist making time for godly lament. Like so many other things, I want to move through grief as quickly as possible. But instead of ignoring our grief or trying to speed our way through it, the Lord offers us godly lament as a vehicle to bring our sadness, to bring our disappointment to Him. We don't have to cast a positive spin on something that really stinks. <laughs> Rather, lament lets us engage with God at a heart level in even our scariest and most gut-wrenching moments of motherhood. You know, lament, I, I think I say this in my book, lament really is just agreeing with God. We can wail while we're lamenting, but it's coming to God and agreeing with Him that yes, sin really messed everything up that our world is so broken. It's telling the Lord, we need you. We need what only you can do in our lives right now. We need you to turn our ashes into beauty. 
Redeemer stories, and it's a confession, you're our only hope. There's nowhere else we can go. Our Godly Lament invites hurting moms like you and me and any of the moms who are listening really to just pour out our hearts with this emotional freedom before our Heavenly Father, confessing our struggles and even our doubts about His goodness. But at the same time, coupling that with the fact that we're pouring this out to God, which is itself an expression. It's an act of faith. It's a way of declaring I still believe, and I believe that I can come to you and you are still good and you are still a refuge for me. So it's both. It's I'm bringing all of this, but I'm still going to bring it to you. In a different chapter, you explore that oftentimes in motherhood, the unexpected sorrows we face leave us asking more questions than we can find answers for. So how do the scriptures encourage us to approach our grief-laden questions or complaints in a way that builds our faith instead of breaks it? Yeah, so often, uh, at least for me, um, but I think for many people, our motherhood sorrows leave us asking questions. They could be questions like, why is God even allowing this trial in my life? Or is this my fault? Where did I go wrong? Am I being punished or is my child being punished for my sins? How could God really love us if he is allowing this, whatever this is in our lives? And then I think we can also ask, you know, when, if ever, will our lives get easier? And for me, I mean, this is a personal question. What does the future hold for our family? And uh, that could even extend for some people. Will my child even grow up? What will adulthood look like for my child if he or she does? So we have all these questions. It's not wrong to ask questions. I love that in scripture, there are many biblical figures who ask God questions. So to ask questions isn't necessarily sinful. It's a matter of the heart. Do our questions rise from a rebellious heart or a submissive one? So here I'm getting into some questions we can be asking to evaluate our own hearts Having already judged God, do we now toss our scornful accusations at him in the form of questions? Or are our questions truly overflowing from brokenness, from contrite spirits, genuinely desiring wisdom from our Heavenly Father? Do we seek his guidance and help for our perplexities? So just as biblical lament, you know, as we just talked about, invites us to bring our grief to the Lord, there's a way in humility that we can also bring our honest questions to our Heavenly Father. And uh, just to go a step further, when we open our Bibles, we really can read many answers to our questions. I mean, there are, the Bible is full of answers, but as we know, God's Word also leaves a lot of room for mystery. There are a lot of questions that seem to go unanswered. And I think where the Bible can come and offer us immense comfort is that it offers a story that helps make sense of yours and mine. It shows us how things were good and then there was a fall and yet there's hope because there's a redeemer who came. So this grand story of the gospel and how that gospel intersects with our own stories it might not spell out all the particulars that we can be so eager to know but it really can give us hope that this isn't the end of our stories, that there's more to come. And I think as we open God's word, another thing that has given comfort to me is I might not find 
all the answers I'm eager to know, like the details of when and what and why and how. But uh, the Bible does talk a lot about who. It talks about the Lord and what we can expect of him. And it invites us to bring our perplexities to him when they trouble us. And I think this is another reminder that all of the Christian life, including motherhood, <laughs> um, is really meant to be lived by faith in the Lord. Well, Katie, sometimes when we're walking through a particularly dark or challenging season of motherhood, doubts about the goodness of God can arise. And it's a lot easier, I'll speak for myself again, to believe that God is good when his plans seem to align with ours, but when they don't. And when his greater purposes begin to lead us from those high mountaintops into low valleys, or perhaps even when he takes away something or someone that is really important to us, it can leave us sometimes disoriented or even disillusioned in our faith. What truths about God's character and promises have helped you to work through some of these kinds of difficult thoughts or discouraging doubts? Especially when motherhood is hard, or even when life is hard, it can be easy to succumb to difficult thoughts or discouraging thoughts. I also find that my feelings so often want to rule me in those moments, and it's been particularly important in those times that I lean on the truth of God's word and not on my feelings, that I remember that God is good because that's who he reveals himself to be in scripture instead of dwelling on whether or not that's how he seems to be or feels like he is in the moment. So as I already mentioned, the weeks and months following my children's diagnosis with Alpha-1, they were particularly difficult. There were extra appointments to schedule, new medications to navigate. I also had a newborn. So there really wasn't much time for intentional Bible study. But in that season, even more than others, I needed to be sustained by God's word. So I started a list of go-to Bible verses in my otherwise rather empty journal. And looking back, so many of those verses are about trusting God, about his presence, his nearness being with me and his help, his sovereignty and his compassion. And uh, there are a lot of verses about hope too. So I include those in an appendix in the back of my book, God is Still Good. But there have been so many scriptures that I've clung to over the years in different sorrows I've experienced in motherhood. There's a phrase you use in the book, which I thought was helpful, and it is on the chapter that discusses the anxiety you felt early on in your journey through motherhood. The quote was that you followed your fears to their source, and you share that in doing this and following your fears to their source. It was both revealing and helpful to you. So can you share what that means, number one, but then perhaps why it's helpful and suggest what this might even look like in real life practice? Early on, I was a new mom, and in studying God's word, I began to see that fretting about parenting or anything else really was a surface manifestation of a heart-level problem. So my worry and anxiety indicated that no matter what I professed, in my core, I wasn't really trusting God. And it's not something I wanted to see, but it was God's kindness to reveal that to me. And so when I got a few hours to myself on a Saturday, I created a chart. And in one column was a list of my worries. 
Then I began translating those worries into what they revealed. I actually believed about God, not what I would have told someone I believed about him, but what my anxieties demonstrated, I functionally believed about God in that moment. And once I did that, it was easier. And this would be my encouragement to another mom. It really was a helpful activity. It made it easier for me to discern the lies that were at play. For each untruth uncovered, I then searched the Bible for a verse about God's character or one of his promises to combat it. And so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about following my fears to their source. It's okay, what's really going on here? And then what does that say that I'm really believing? And then it's taking that extra step. So what am I going to do about that? How do I change that? And so, you know, that activity that day actually led to a practice that has served me really well. And in God is Still Good, I ask questions to help other moms identify and fight lies that they're tempted to believe in their suffering. I also offer a sample line, uh, truth chart. So uh, just to describe this to anyone who's listening, this is a chart, it's real simple, has three columns, lies, truths, and scripture verses. And I encourage moms in my book to create their own in the left-hand column, just to make a list of any any lies that a mom is tempted to believe about God's words, his character, his purposes, or even his ways in her particular suffering, um, to be very specific about it. And then next to that column, in the center column, to go ahead and next to each of those lies, write what God's word says is true about God and his relationship to his children. And then finally, in the right-hand column, that's a good place to go ahead and even write out a Bible verse that supports each of those truths. So, for example, how does this play out? Um, for example, maybe a mom listening is tempted to believe that her suffering means that God doesn't really love her. So in her lie column, she would write, God doesn't love me, because that's the lie. And that can show itself in so many different ways. But it's a lie. It's not true. God loved us enough to send Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. And so in her truth column, she might write, God loves me more than I can possibly imagine. And there are so many scriptures that she could add to her last column to support this truth. But one that comes to mind is Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So finally, this practice has been really helpful to me. I mean, I keep my lie and truth chart right on the wall in my laundry room at home. It's a place that I can reference frequently and easily, but it's just been really helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to some other moms as well. Toward the close of the book, you talk about how comparison, so comparing ourselves to other families or other moms in particular, can actually tempt us to discontentment, particularly when we are seeing other moms who appear to be better off or at least suffering a lot less than we presently are. So after everything that we've spoken about today, why do you think that this is an important part of the overall conversation for sorrowing moms to reflect on? There are lots of losses that come with the sorrows of motherhood. Lost sleep, lost time, lost relationships, and so many more. And it is so easy for sinful comparison and discontentment to creep in, just like the lies and truths that we just talked about. I think it's important for moms to be aware of this temptation so that they can fight against its pool. What's been so helpful to me is fixing my eyes on Jesus, remembering the call to follow him, 
even if he leads me on a path that looks very different from another mom's. So then how might a sorrowing mom begin to address the discontentment that she's feeling in this season of life? Like so many other things, it really starts with acknowledging and calling discontentment for what it is, that it's sin, and then confessing it to the Lord. True conviction of sin leads to confession. And when we confess our sin, the Lord is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then a next step is to ask for help from a spouse, a friend, maybe it's a ministry leader. It would also be great to meditate on Bible verses about contentment and the sufficiency of Christ. One I often cling to is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Awesome. Well, we have time for a couple more questions in our conversation today. So I wonder if you might share with us perhaps a few practical next steps. I mean, you've already kind of have sprinkled some in here and there throughout the conversation, <laughs> but I guess to just really highlight a few practical steps that a sorrowing mom could take today if she's feeling overwhelmed or discouraged. Yeah, and I've been that overwhelmed and discouraged sorrowing mom. So yeah, um, my heart goes out to her. I'd love to offer a few practical steps, but I also really want to nuance my answer. There are so many forms that suffering can take for a mom and uh, listeners to this podcast, readers of my book, all bring so many different experiences of sorrow in motherhood. So I just recognizing people are at different stages and uh, the needs are different, but the Lord knows them all. The Lord knows where each woman is coming from. Uh, I think another thing I'm aware of in answering this question is that it can be such a temptation to just bring a fix-it mentality to one another's problems, and it's just not always helpful. Sometimes when I would be in church and someone would ask how I was doing, I would just burst into tears. And what I needed in that moment was not to be told, go do this, this, and this. I just needed someone to come you know, an older mom to put her arm around me, comfort me, pray for me, give me a timely word of encouragement. So I don't want to offer practicals as like, okay, this is a to-do list now that you need to go out and do. But at the same time, it's helpful to know what do I do? Because in a moment of being overwhelmed, sometimes we just don't know. So these are some things that have been helpful to me. The first thing I would offer is just draw near. The author of Hebrews invites moms like us to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I love that that invitation is to us in our time of need. We draw near in our time of need and there is grace and mercy and abundance waiting for us in our sympathetic savior. And so whether that mom is listening in her car right now, or she is standing in her kitchen and different thoughts of her own personal sorrows are coming to mind and she's not sure what to do, I would just say, draw near right where you are. Just stop and pray before moving on to the next thing in your day. You can cry out to the Lord and invite his help. Prayer, I think sometimes it doesn't sound practical, but not only is it a meaningful way that we can redirect our gaze from our sorrows and onto the Lord, but we really can ask for help from the one who's able to actually help us when we can't help ourselves. And sometimes even other people can't help us. So um, I don't think prayer is the least we can do. It's one of the very best things that we can do. And then again, I picture that mom in her car or in her kitchen. And I remember, you know, being in those places myself and struggling. And one of the things that was 
so helpful to me was listening to songs that redirected my gaze to the Lord and uh, to truths about his character and promises. So I actually created a Spotify playlist to go along with God is still good. And, you know, that is available. The link to that's available on my website and a hurting mom might find that an encouragement. I think that's something that we can do and we can't even get our own thoughts out of our head uh, just to be putting truth into our head. And I think songs can do that for me. Next, if a mom hasn't taken time to grieve or lament, and we talked about this a little bit already, but I'd really encourage her to create space to do that, to intentionally set aside a time and place, to acknowledge her sorrow to the Lord and offer her tears as she cries out to him. After my friend gave me counsel that maybe I needed to do some more grieving, my husband helped me set aside some intentional time to go away and to do that. And it was really helpful in that time, not only to cry, to pray, to read my Bible, but also to write out my thoughts, what I was thinking. And then that could also be a good time if a mom wants to write her own line truth chart, like we just talked about. I would encourage this mom to read or even listen to the Bible. Again, if you don't have time to sit down and study it intensely, you can listen to the Bible. The Psalms are a great place to start. Those are go-to for me in some of my hard seasons. Uh, she could start her own go-to Bible verse list like I did. And then I also think just connecting with other believers is really important, ideally in the context of the church. So I would encourage this mom to find a trustworthy friend, ask her for prayer, uh, reach out to an older, more experienced mom for counsel, even for some perspective maybe. And then, you know, I think there are situations where we go to a ministry leader, we go to a Christian counselor, for help really to connect those biblical truths to our situations, to our circumstances, when it's really hard for us to do that on our own. And I just have one more thought. You know, I was, I was thinking, what are some things that I've heard older, wiser, godly <laughs> women say? And some of the phrases, or two of the phrases that come to mind are do the next thing and go serve somebody else. And uh, a sorrowing mom, like I already said, she doesn't need a long to-do list, but sometimes I think the overwhelmed and discouraged person needs some help to know what to do next. And that next thing really might just be practical care for her family. So it wasn't easy, but you know, the day I got the phone call from the doctor saying that two more of my kids had alpha one, you know, I cried, my husband came home from work, we prayed together. But then I had to wipe my tears and I had to go back in the house and I needed to make dinner for my kids and I needed to tuck them into bed that night. And as hard as it is to do some of those things, it's also a beautiful way to, again, express faith in our Heavenly Father. And it's not just coping, but I think it really is showing trust in God by continuing to live out the Christian life in the arena that he's called us to. And sometimes it is just one next thing. Um, and often that one next thing is serving somebody else in a practical way. And the Lord uses that to bring healing and um, to honor him. And yeah, I can't put words to all of that, but there is something beautiful that God does in that. Absolutely. I mean, even as you were just talking, I was thinking of Elijah and when he just totally got to his moment of despair, you know, when you talk about doing the next thing, what well, was for, for Elijah in his fainting fit, as Spurgeon would say, and, you know, he basically was just like, Lord, I've had enough. I, I, I'm done, you know, take me. And the next thing for him, and it's so simple, was to eat and rest. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> you know, God wasn't like, oh man, you got to do this, 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 like buck up. You know, he was like, okay, let's take a break. And if you could just sit up to eat, then mm -hmm. you'll, you'll have been obedient to what I have for you right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has been so meaningful to me. It sounds like it has been meaningful to you that sometimes the next thing is the most ordinary, mundane mm -hmm. means of sustaining grace. Mm -hmm. And taking one step into that is an mm -hmm. act of faith and obedience when you feel like you just want to quit. Yes. So um, thank you for highlighting that because I think it is terribly important. And for all of the practical suggestions that you just offered, there was a wealth of them. And if you are feeling overwhelmed by listening to all that, just go get a copy of the book because it's sprinkled off throughout there. And so I want to let the listener know a couple of things before we end with our final question. I want to let you know that if you are interested in learning more about this book, God is Still Good, Gospel Hope and Comfort for the Unexpected Sorrows of Motherhood, you can scroll down in the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access information about the book, a link to Katie's website. Um, but also what I want to highlight is as you are waiting for Katie's book to come, if you're going to go order it and you are in need of more help or more hope today. We do have a number of recent conversations that we have had on this podcast that may be a benefit to you. Hope and help for practicing lament. One is uh, that comes to mind, hope and help for feeling overwhelmed, hope and help for mom guilt. And so I want to let you know that as you scroll down to the show notes and click that link to get information about the book, you will also find other podcast episodes that are free to listen to that you can dive into right now if you are in need of more encouragement. And so I wanted to make sure that you knew that those resources were available to you as well. All right, Katie. Well, I want to go ahead and take time to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be a mother listening today who is in the midst of navigating unexpected sorrows. What would you say to this listener to encourage her with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? Thanks, Christine. Yeah, my heart really goes out to this mom. So to this sister, I would say, Whatever your journey looks like and however you feel today, suffering or sorrowing mom isn't your primary identity. Um, even while you and I experience the joys and bear the burdens of this glorious thing called motherhood, we remain and always will remain beloved daughters of our Heavenly Father. Beloved is who we are. Beloved is who we are when we're awake in the night with a sick child. Beloved is who you are when there's trouble at school, your teenager questions his faith, when you get a call from the police saying there's been an accident. If you are in Christ, you are his beloved, one at the dear price of your Savior's blood, and nothing can separate you from his love, not miscarriage, nor a diagnosis, nor a rebellious child, and as lonely as you may feel, you are not alone. There are many other moms who've walked hard motherhood roads also. What's more, Jesus is a savior described as a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. And he's ready to walk with you on your road. So this is not the end of your story because it's not the end of his. And whether it's in this life or it's in the next one, one day all will be made right and you will see your savior face to face. So remember that your light 
momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those words of encouragement, Katie. And I want to ask you real quick, if there's somebody listening today who wants to learn more about you and your writing ministry, where can they go to find you online? Sure. The best place is katieferris.com. And if someone goes there, you'll find links to any blog posts, information about my books. There are links to all my socials, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. And then I would just also plug, you mentioned some podcasts earlier that, you know, the mom looking for help right now could go to. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) Sometimes uh, we just need to be able to feed our souls right in the middle of our struggle. Another resource I'd want to offer while someone would be waiting for a copy of God is Still Good is that there is a free five-day devotional available based on the book. It's called Hope When Motherhood is Hard, and it's available on the YouVersion app. So there are links to that on my website as well. But that's another resource that I would want to offer to the mom who's struggling right now. Awesome. Well, I will be sure to link to that on the website. Um, So again, if you want to get more information about the resources we've talked about today or to connect with Katie, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on our website where you can access that information. So Katie, thank you so much for taking the time during this busy book launch season to share about the book, but most importantly, to offer gospel hope and help for moms who are suffering and struggling through a really difficult season. I have benefited from this book. I was glad to preview it and to offer an endorsement. And I really do pray that it will meet mothers where they are at in a season of sorrow or difficulty and point them to the Savior whose love is sufficient to carry them through whatever it is that they are experiencing today. So thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my joy. Thank you so much, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.